21, expand your gaming experience. Today we're talking about expansions and whether or not we like them, whether we think they're good to introduce into a game, or are they just something that's not necessary? That's what we're going to cover today. So joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome, everyone. So how have you been? Good. Good. My friend Brian came over because he had a day off. So we got to play a couple games. Uh, we, we got to play Takenu again. Mm-hmm. How did it go with you? Oh, it's so good. The statues are way more important too, because you're you're getting bonuses when you when anyone goes to that space, including you, yeah, including yourself. So I built three statues <laughs> around the the god actions, so that was kind of cool. It was a lot of fun. I I really think that it's edging its way into being my favorite Tashini game. Mm-hmm. I can see the potential. I I like it. I liked it a lot when we played it. The risk of it for me was uh, that it might get to feel a little dry uh, with the procedure of doing it once I become more familiar, but I'm definitely not there yet. It still holds all of its fascination for me. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. What have you been up to? I have been busy with the semester. The problem with with working with students that cannot do a lot in class because of social distancing means you have a lot of reading stuff. And I am just realizing that not only I have to worry about them having the space to do things, but I should also consider that I have to read through the things that I ask people to write. Um, and so that has been slowly creeping up on my free time. But we did get to play a little bit and we got back to Gugong, which I hadn't played in a little while. And I played it with five players for the first time. Mm-hmm. So Gugong, for those of you who haven't seen it, is by Andreas Tedding. Came out, I think, last year. It's a Euro game set in China, ch- circa 1600 or 1500, something like that. Yeah, 1570, says the the publisher, which is Game Brewer. And it's interesting because while it's a straight-up Euro, the theme kind of makes sense. So the idea behind the game is that to prohibit corruption or to prevent corruption, the emperor has decreed that no officials can get paid, they can receive money from other people. And so to still be bribed, they have resorted to this system of exchanging gifts where, I don't know, I give you a box of chocolates and you give me a car. So obviously you have technically bribed me, but we are just exchanging gifts. And this translates onto the board. You have uh, seven action spaces. And on your turn, all that you do is you choose a card and you have to exchange it with a card in on the board and you have to use a higher card than the card that is there to activate the action on the card and the action on the space. And there are ways to pay more in case that's not the case, and so you you can still do it. In a way, it works different, but in a way it has some of that uh, underwater cities tension of 
do I want to use this card at the right moment with the right action? But it's a little simpler because you will use all of the cards in your hand, so you don't need to choose which one to prioritize. And it's very interactive because you're constantly trying to put cards where people will not get them, trying to gauge whether people have the card to beat yours, and trying to manage your stack of cubes, basically, that you keep going through uh, and getting them back at different times. And I really, really like it. Um, It's very different from other Euros I've played. It's fresh every time I played it. You played it this, right? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and it was a very good game. Dan was playing it for the first time. It was my first time playing with five, which makes it a little long, I must say. I was a little excited, but then it went a little long. Although one of the main areas of the board, the Great Wall, becomes incredibly fun with five. It's fine with four or three. It works. But with five, it becomes very dynamic. It's constantly being used and changing. And I really, really like Gugong. It was, I, I did terribly during this specific game. I'm not great uh, at it, but so many things to consider because you have to decide basically when to pay something when you don't have the right gift for the right space. But to do so, you can discard a card and the cards that discard, you discard going into your private discard pile and you are trying to collect certain things in your discard pile, so sometimes renouncing an action but having something there is strong. It's great, and I really liked it. Do you know what the expansion adds? Well, uh, I was keeping that for our discussion. Uh, <laughs> talk, but we, we actually looked into it because I really want it. It's in my in my cart um, as soon as it becomes available on a couple of websites. And there are four modules. One is new decrees which are basically powers and the game and game scoring that you can buy and one adds new travel tokens there is a section where you go around with a little meeple and you have different mini bonuses that you can collect and another one on the imperial palace track which is a track where you want to get there to the end first and if you don't get to the end by the end of a game you lose the game no matter what uh, so it's uh, simply during the, the basic game, it's a very methodical, you have to get there before others. Now they give you basically some tiles that you place on top of this track and they add some costs or some requirements, but also some bonuses and some ongoing bonuses. So, oh, on this spot, I will get this every turn, but can I wait to leave this spot or if I leave it, it will be too late and I risk not getting to the top. So that sounds very, very interesting. Another one, it's the Summer Palace, which uh, it's it's actually very nice. I've been there in Beijing, which is one of the reasons I want the, the expansion. It's this place with a lot of lakes. And in the game, you can send your servants, your cubes to the lake to fish, I guess. I don't know. And but. If you have majority in one of those, you can get some extra bonuses at the end of each round. And the last one is one that I'm a little worried, but the expansion is modular, so we can just try every module and see which ones work. It's a revolt, a peasant's revolt, and it sounds very dynamic, very interactive, but it could upend the game because the way it works is at certain points during the game when the peasant revolts 
trigger. I don't, I'm not exactly sure when and how, but there is a certain number that you need to beat. Everyone contributes a card, and if the total is not high enough, the one with the lowest suffers something or something like that. It's one of those we all contribute, and depending on the result, like if the result is positive, then you want it to contribute less because you didn't need to. But if the result is negative, the one who contributed the, the most or the least, there, there is something like that. And that sounds interesting because it creates another point of interaction, but also very different from what's already in the game. So I'm a little wary. It's like Dungeon Raiders. The, that part sounds like Dungeon Raiders indeed. And that works very well for Dungeon Raiders. I really like it as a mechanism. Because the game is all about that. Yeah. Versus this is adding that into a Euro. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I I think yesterday when we were watching the review of the of the expansion, we were thinking exactly the same. That the other three seem an absolute shoo-in for the game. This one in particular deserves a try but worst case scenario you are three out of four so it's it's a good good ratio uh what else have i played oh i got to play uh ginkopolis <laughs> i haven't played that in a while it's the favorite game of my friend staff uh who does the rainbow uh, series of of blogs on on bgg so what did you think of it I really liked it. I thought it was good. It was something that was very different. So basically, for people who don't know, Geekopolis is a game where you you are expanding a city, and it's supposed to be like futuristic, and you can either expand the city already you can build on top of what's there already or you can just get more resources from tiles and then when you build on top of things you add that card that you built on you add the card of the thing you built on top of to like a little tableau and it creates extra powers that are permanent for the rest of the game some of them have power some of them have end game scoring I was murdered <laughs> in that game, but it all came down to one area. We played it two-player. Um, it all came down to one area that Brian edged edged me out on, and it was it was really good though. I really liked it. I thought it was very different from other things that I've played, and it felt very fun and and fresh the arc of the game really felt dynamic as you were like ramping things up and a little bit of engine building and tableau building and things like that so i liked it yeah i went into it skeptical because it's by xavier george who did also trois and carson city two games that i didn't particularly like try actually disliked and i know it's very popular it's like in a top 100 on BGG or something like that, but I didn't care for it. Carson City was not as bad, but I was expecting more. And so when I I played Ginkopolis, I was probably not the most well disposed to it, but I kind of liked it. I rated it at 6.5, so fine, not memorable, which is how I feel 
about it right now, even if I don't remember all of the, the details. Remember that the card playing, which I think is simultaneous, right? Yes. That part I liked. I liked that idea of we select at the same time and then reveal and then see what, what's happening. I think it does play better with more players. And I found it cute that you place tiles on top of each other. That said, I didn't particularly enjoy the the rest of the game, like how the scoring works was intuitive, was simple, but not particularly interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's kind of a majority thing, but it had a couple of new rules and elements that made it different and fresh, but it didn't particularly deliver for me. Plus, it's tiling. I feel like you are vehemently opposed to tiling. Sure, but this felt more... uh, Sure, because you can block off an area and things like that, but... yeah. I didn't feel like the special element was suffocating me as it does in other games because you have to definitely try and stop someone from growing an area because with the exception of the ones that you start the game with which are get quickly surrounded you usually have ways to expand especially you have ways to expand areas that are already big which is a little bit of a problem in the game because it tends to be that the once an area gets to three or four adjacent tiles, it will grow. Yeah. Because it's very hard to cut it off. So what you were saying before of you got caught into fighting for one area and edging out another player for that area becomes crucial. I don't feel like that will be a rare occurrence because once an area becomes fat and big, it has a lot of connection points, I guess. So I wonder if that's a common situation for people who play the game often. I don't know. But I really enjoyed my play of it, so I thought it was... I would, I'm would. i definitely going to play it again. Mm-hmm. But you have only played with two, you said. Yeah. Yes. And it's very, very out of print. <laughs> Good. So you, you, you should try and get it. I'm going to wait till they reprint it, though. They're apparently re- the goal is for them to reprint it by the end of the year. So it's not gonna be out of print for the long time. Per their Facebook. So uh, that was Ginkopolis. What else have you played? I played Treasure Hunter, which I hadn't played in a little while. It's always nice. It's a drafting game by Richard Garfield, the designer of Magic the Gathering, uh-huh. which is nothing as complex as that, obviously. It's you draft cards from a deck that has three suits and a bunch of other cards, basically. And you are trying to get majority or minority, uh, having the most or having the least of the three specific colors. So at the beginning of each round, for each of the three suits, you flip two treasures, and those will be assigned to whoever has the most of red and whoever has the least but at least one of red and so forth and so on. Some times are positive, some rarer cases they are negatives. And so you're trying to balance getting a lot of the things that you want with having a few of the things that you want more, but not having a lot of the things that you don't want. And you draft your entire hand and there are a couple of special cards. It's fun, it's fast, 
I don't think you have great control on what you do. So the drafting becomes all of the race. There are a few cards that you can play to modify things, but you really, really want to draft the right cards. So it's all about the drafting. It doesn't have any complicated narrative arc like Seven Wonders. Hence, I don't like it as much, but I still like that it's quick, it's fun. It has goblins that you need to chase away with dogs. It It's cute. I have played it a few times, and usually people like it. I haven't found people who, who dislike it for what it is. I like it. I've played it um, only like on an app. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool. I think it's, it is. It's, it's lighter, definitely, but still has some meaningful choices. And I like it. And the artist is one that has worked with Queens a lot. It's Marcus Ert. Uh, he has worked on Copenhagen. He has worked on Luxor. He has worked on this one, on Pioneers. So is one of those reliable Queen Games style it's not going to win any prize, um, but is cartoonish enough and evocative enough that it's nice to play. And it plays in like 40 minutes, so that's good too. What else did I play? Oh, I played Rialto again. Oh, nice. I played it at two. So did you play it straight up rules or with the variant? No, the regular rules. Mm-hmm. I liked it, though. It felt the Doge track was even more important. Of course, because at that point you're winning any tie. Yeah. So that was very contested over. And then Brian, not through me explaining the game, but through him interpreting the rules how he wanted to interpret or hoping that something was coming, thought that the Doge track would give you points at the end. Okay. How many? Uh, like one per step that you've taken. Oh, that would have been a lot of points. Right. It was like maybe the fifth turn. He was like, well, whatever. This at least gives me, you know, two more points. I was like, what do you mean it gives you two more points? He goes, oh, because, you know, I'm farther on the track. I was like, you don't get points for the track. And he was like, I don't. I was like, no, I never said that. No one said that. That was never implied. He was like, well, but there's numbers on the track. So he was brokenhearted about that. But Yeah, that must have been souring on a game to realize that what you were doing will not give you points. (laughs) He was like, oh, I did good on everything except for the area control part. Yeah, and... With two players in particular, that's tricky. Although you are getting off the points on that every turn. so It was good. I liked it. I thought it was cool. I really liked it with three. I feel like you need maybe one more person because area control... It's funny. So we played like basically three games that had area control elements. Takenu, which has the area control elements on the buildings that you can build sure and then gingopolis which is air control and then and rialto oh rialto yeah yeah yeah. rialto which is area control yeah for those of you that haven't heard we talked about it i think last episode or the one before but rialto is stefan game in which every turn you go through a series of 
bidding this time i'm using it correctly <laughs> and you lay out for each bidding all of the cards that you have in that category plus you can use some wilds activate some abilities and you're you get whatever you bid like if you're bidding on coins you get that many coins if you're bidding on the doji track you move that many spaces if you're bidding on buildings you build that many buildings but whoever wins that gets an extra point of whatever it is and that since you are using only one two cards getting that extra something is the meat of the game and so that's why i guess you were saying that being ahead on the doji track becomes very important because you're getting a lot of those bonuses every time you match someone else's cards there is also a variant in which you have kind of a dummy player which i had imagined you you wouldn't use because i know you you don't like those i do find rialto more fun with more players don't get me wrong i I've played Rialto with two. I really like it with two. It's more the opposite that Rialto is the only felt game with Strasbourg that I own that I like playing with five. Or the other one, well, La Isla too, but La Isla is very, very light. So Rialto and Strasbourg are the ones that I go to when when we are five. And that's what what makes it very frantic. But I do think that it works good, well, with three or four as well. Yeah. So that was Rialto. Again. <laughs> did you play anything else? No, I mean, I did. But let's move on to, to our review for today. The game that we, we chose to go into some details for is Raids, which we have talked about before a little bit, is by Brett Gilbert and Matthew Dunstan. And Matt Gilbert has designed also a game that I absolutely uh, dislike, Elysium. And so when I got into raids, I did it without knowing the, the designers. And in this case, it was good. It, I saw it at GenCon, which I did. You did too, right? Yep. And as we have mentioned before, Matthew Dunstan instead is... He has done so many things, including Monumental, that we discussed recently. And... I like a lot of his stuff. So Raids is basically takes the the element of whoever is last in on the table, not in points, whoever is last on the track, it's their turn to go. That is in Glamour, it's in Kraftwagen and things like that and makes it a violent affair of Vikings. So the general idea behind it is that in those games, leaving someone behind is risky because they can get all of the stuff that they can get while staying behind the player before. So there is a, a track of stuff, of actions or resources, and I can jump to whatever I want. But if I do, the player who's left alone in last place will collect everything until they are not the last one on the track anymore. And Glamour balances that with... Uh, if you have too many tiles, you lose points at the end of the game. Kraftwagen actually does not balance that. It balances with some action being strictly better. So you can jump to an action strictly better and give someone else three or four minor actions. Raids does away with that. So you don't get anything for free. There is no free meal in, uh, in uh, Viking World. But it also makes it so that when... In those other games, when someone takes something, that's it. Here in Raids, it introduces a very interesting 
change, which is when you go to something, you are trying to acquire whatever it is. So you move to this space, your little drakkar, the boat, and then you're done. But when someone moves, they can choose to come to your space and fight you off for it. And you can fight back to stay in the point, and this fighting means spending the resource of the game, which are Vikings, which are adorable little wooden meeples, but so that you only trigger the action or the reward where you are when you actually are the last player. So everyone needs to either pass you or be fought off. And only when all of them are gone past you and it's now your turn to move, then you collect whatever you have and you decide, do I go to an, an empty space? Well, to a space where there is no player because there will be something that maybe I can get or do I go fight someone? And I think that where the game lives and dies is not so much in what do I want to get, but is how much is it worth to waste to make sure that other people also waste their resources and therefore they cannot chase me away at the right moment or vice versa, collect everything that they need. Yeah, a lot of the different tiles are the fighting the monsters, which gives you points. There's the set collection of the runes, which gives you points. There are strictly tiles that you can pick up that just are points on your ship. And then each round there is a objective that you're trying to complete. And then the objective, if there's a tie amongst the objective, it's whoever went to port first breaks the tie. Mm -hmm. And then there's also like coin spots. Whoever passes through there first gets the most coins. Then next gets the second most coins. And then the tile goes away. And then there's also a similar one like that for the Vikings. Yeah, and I think that those are very, very smart because they... They give you another reason to move faster around the board. Not just I want that specific tile because it's cool, but also, oh, there is this tile that if I pass by first, I get something. So it increases the dynamism of of that. Yeah. So in terms of theme and components, I think that's a, a big bonus. The artist is Bibun, who I, I didn't know before. It's uh, oh, it's the artist behind Dice Forge as well, and it's a yellow game. So obviously, the there is art on each tile on the board. There is the art on the board is popping and colorful. The pieces are great. The the coins are actually metal, and they're very nice. And I think the the theme again, it's a lot of us abstraction, obviously, but I think it fits the the game. It feels like a very fighty, very in-your-face game, despite the fact that you don't roll dice, you don't take resources from people who already have them or anything like that. But it feels like you are indeed very violent (laughs) towards each other. It's a mean game. And it's interesting how that little spin of oh, now you, I can come to you and I can pay one Viking, and if you want to stay put, you have to pay two Vikings. That's the only change to compare to, to the way this mechanism works in Kraftwagen and uh, Glenmore, and yet it makes for a much more Vikingish game. So I think that they, they really thought of what they wanted to do with the theme, and they went along with it. The components are definitely 
definitely one of the high points of the game for me. Just that they, in a world that's so saturated with uh, deluxe versions and all this stuff, which I will buy, but (laughs) it's not the point. The point is that Yellow just made this version and it's deluxified already. It has, the, like you said, the metal coins. It has wooden ship meeples. It has wooden little Viking meeples. And it's it just looks so nice. And it's a lot of fun. It is super, super mean, which, you know, makes it have a special place in my heart. But um, <laughs> it is basically impossible to get to the table at two yeah because you have to get you have to have a third player sort of like going on its own it's like a ghost ship or something i forget what they exactly called it in the rules but it's a variant and it's not good yeah i i just don't care for it because it's again it's a dummy player and in a game where you're trying to to figure out how to stay at a certain spot because you don't get the benefits of it until, like you said, you're resolving your turn at the very, very, very end when people have all passed you. It's difficult to account for something like that. And you're getting into the pace and feeling of the game. I absolutely agree that the fact that what makes this game great when you play with, with more players is exactly that you are constantly thinking, okay, I can push away Nathan, but then the next person will be behind me. So is it worth to waste some resources knowing that the next person can just come and snipe me? And sometimes it is, because if I don't, that person will simply chase away Nathan and get their stuff and still not have paid. So the balance of when you do it. And at the same time, I feel the pace of the game stays very quick. It is technically possible that you won't play for a while. If you jump all the way ahead and other people are fighting for positions behind you, you could go a few turns without playing. But I feel that the turns are so simple because it's move somewhere. You can pay a Viking. The other person can pay two if they want to push you back. You could technically pay three if you really want to stay there. So a total of four. And also, even if you're not playing, the position where you are, A, matters for the others, and B you are involved because you are hoping that people spend their Vikings and you are often cutter-wailing when people choose to come to your spot and you go, oh, no, but the next person will get it now and things like that. Or why do you come after me and things like that? So there is involvement, I feel, all the time. There is never a moment where you go, okay, for the next five minutes, I can go get a drink. It's You remain involved. You feel involved and... I think the pace is very quick. Each turn takes 20 seconds to resolve is you get whatever you are at. So you start to turn with some reward, no matter where you are, because if it's your turn to go, that's that, that means you got something and then you have a choice. So it's an interesting moment of do I go for something that I can take? Do I go annoy someone else or do I jump all the way into port because I want the tiebreaker for those objectives that you were mentioning so it keeps it quick it keeps it fun I think the feeling of it which you, as you meant is very mean doesn't necessarily come out when you're explaining the game so sometimes people are a little surprised by it because you go well you 
you get wherever you are at and then you move wherever you want. And if you want, you can fight someone, but you simply pay the, the cost and they can pay back. But when you realize that going to a place, pushing someone away, that means that someone else can come in and push you away. But you cannot say, well, then I will simply go elsewhere because otherwise everyone is pushing you away. It can be deceptively mean the first time you play this game, I think. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's so good, though. Like, it, it just... It has all the things that I like. The set collection is fun to do. The monsters are fun to fight when you get to them. It's nice to to be able to get those points by because you feel accomplished because you defeated a monster. So it's it has a lot of different elements that are just really, really good, in my opinion. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you specifically what you thought about, and I was trying to, to, to get to the same answer myself, and I don't know whether I have an answer to both. So on in terms of strategies and replayability. So on replayability, I think it's it's great. The, the mechanism is so simple that the very fact of the, all of the tiles are in random order every time they come out, and that can completely change the game. So I feel that it's fresh every time. I never feel oh, this game was like the other one, right? You are doing different things and things can change so drastically that even mid-game, the next, you you repeat, you have four trips, which means going four times around the board and every time there are new tiles. And I feel that despite the fact that you use all of the tiles in all of the games, it is very replayable. And I wanted to know if you felt the same. But also, I wanted to ask you whether you feel that you can have a strategy or a tactic or if you are more beholden by what the game puts in front of you so i think there's a lot of strategy in the game like you said the randomness really you have to respond to it i do think that i have a strategy when i play this game regardless of how the tiles come out. I still go for certain things. Like I never fight for the monsters. Mm-hmm. Cause they're different. They're difficult. You spend a lot of resources. You can get things that make it easier to kill the monsters, but then you're sacrificing space on your ship for ports for things that you can take to port and, and sell. So I usually go for the set collection and the ports is what I go for regardless of how they come out. So I still think that the replayability factor is high for this game because it's all about player interaction, really. Like, the what it comes down to is, are you going to be very mean to each other in this game or are you going to let certain people get things that they want? And it, I don't know, it's just, it's there's something about it that just makes the game very dynamic very like you said even when it's not your turn you're still invested in what's going on because you don't want people to come to you to make you waste resources and then multiple times waste resources and and it it's it does it just has this in your face this is mine i'm claiming it and then the factor of someone else coming in saying, oh no, it's not yours. It's now mine. So it's, 
it's a great game. Yeah, and I do agree. I, I do think that maybe you cannot have a long-term big strategy, but that is definitely not uh, just a reaction game because as soon as the board is laid out and you know where the tiles are, sure, that's random, but there are different copies of the same tile, so it's rare that you have oh, all of the monsters are at the end of the trip, right? They're usually more or less distributed, and where they are, it matters, and you have to react to that, but it's not like, Oh, the game was completely upheld by the order of the tiles. The uh, tiles are what they are, and you know what's coming. Um, there are a couple of things that I don't like. Minor rules that make the game a little quonky, in my opinion. One is, in this game, again, when you go to some certain places, you can pay one Viking, the currency of the game, to try and chase people away. And the tiles, the, the ports that give you a Viking back when when you win them means that no matter if you need it or not if you can chase someone away you you have to because you're spending one to get one and you're taking something from them which takes away i think some of the interesting tension for all other tiles which is sure i can chase them away but i'm still spending one of my vikings so that's something that i don't like i don't understand that design choice but the main problem that we have is every time we we begin the game, the way the Vikings are distributed to the first player, which is the last player in the player order, it's, first is a little complex to determine who they are referring to. But they start the players with different amount of Vikings, and that always feels very arbitrary. I think the person who moves last or who moves first has fewer Vikings which, sure, they can choose first where to go, but then the player after them can push them away. And it always feels unfair, no matter where you are, even when you're not the person with the fewest. It feels like, sure, but what can they do? Because also having only one Viking means you cannot answer anyone. So it means you go to a place knowing that they will displace you, to go to another place knowing that they will displace you. And it makes the, the start of the game a little slower and way more frustrating than it needs to be. Sometimes I just wish they have said, everyone gets two Vikings, go do your thing. But Yeah. Okay. So in the end, I really like it. I think you do too, right? Yes. So that was Raids. It was... Uh, published in 2018 from Yellow, designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert from Artist Baboon. So if you want to feel like a Viking pillaging the hope and dreams of your friends and making sure that your friendship <laughs> sinks to the bottom of the sea like your Drakkar, you should get raids and have fun with it. Great. So I guess it's time for for our Expand Your Gaming Experience segment. Yes. When dealing with expansions, I feel expansion can serve a very different set of, of roles in our hobby. First of all, that's something that, again, I like to, to focus on these little tidbits. That's always something that is surprising, the concept of an expansion to people who don't play in... Uh, uh, no, don't are nothing to the hobby, right? There are things that obviously they they are surprised that someone can have 200, 300 board games, but you can have 200, 300 books. So when you notice that that difference, 
people usually go, oh, well, that's true. I guess that's true. I just didn't know there were so many. But one thing that movies don't do and books don't do and any other form of entertainment does, uh, does not is expansions. Because normally you have new iterations, right? You have the new Star Wars movie or the new book by John Grisham. But mm, you I'm going have... to challenge you on that, though. What, what is it? Because sequels are basically expansions. I 100% disagree. They're expanding the story. So you think that the Amsterdam uh, version of Macau is the same as an expansion? It's the new version of the same thing. No, those are those are re-implements, though. Well, but isn't the sequel a re-implementing? It's a new story with the same characters. But you're continuing the same story, usually. I see what you mean, but can't you watch a sequel without the one before? I mean, if a game... Sometimes, but sometimes not. But then the previous movie was not completed. I think that segues great into what expansions are. So... If the expansion is there to complete a game that needed something different, it seems like that can be not a good reason to have an expansion. That you should just have a better original game versus trying to make it better by adding an expansion. True, but what if you got stuck with the game that should have had the expansion? Casing point. <laughs> I don't know. So I think that expansions can, in general, function as one of three things. One is what you were saying. The game, either because of publishing reason or because of mistakes in designing or because it was a Kickstarter and it was rushed out, whatever the reason, needed something to for balance or for completion or for depth and is not there. And then the expansion comes and provides that. Or... There are expansions of which I have many this morning when I was thinking of what expansion I wanted to, to to select for our segment. I realized that I have a bunch of games where expansion is simply more content, more of the same. They're usually in more on the Ameritrashy side of things. Cops have a lot of those. Eldritch Horror, Descent, a bunch of more monster, more things. They don't change the game but they bring variability in a game that you have played before. And then there is, I think, the most interesting part of expansions that are expansions that do change the structure of the game. They don't just give you, oh, another build to build, another building to build, or another monster, different monster to fight, but they go and add mechanisms and change the core elements of the game, but they do so in a way that the game is fine on its own and you actually are trying to expand it in a new direction. Can you think of any other kind of expansions? I think these are the, the three that I can imagine, but maybe there is more. No, that seems pretty comprehensive. How do you feel about expansions? I feel like, in for me, it depends on the style of game as to whether or not I like it. Like for Euros, it's a lot more difficult for me to find ones that are seamlessly integrated the ones that are better i feel like camel up expansion which we talked about last week which is the super cup which gives you little things that you can add it makes the race a little bit longer it lays over the board 
I will say that too, that with expansions, I really enjoy when they are seamlessly integrated either onto the board or next to the board or when the the graphic designer really thinks about how they want it to look when it's played with the base game, when it's really thought out and designed well. Village style. Right, like Village or um, Lorenzo or Camel Up also. is mm-hmm. It expands the, the track, but it doesn't look out of place. It doesn't, it fits in very well with what is already present. Yeah, it's not like there is this four spaces for cards and then you put this additional deck here on the side without the space or something like that. Right. Yeah, so I think when it comes to expansion, again, I feel like it's a no-brainer for certain games. There are certain games that I buy knowing that I will want more. It's often games that are very interactive and you you like the variety of, again, a new deck of cards, a new... It, it's the Summoner Wars or the collectible card games or the fighting games where you are going on an adventure and so every expansion can give you another scenario, another pack. For people who like Mansion of Madness, expansions are a no-brainer. You want more scenarios, you want more characters, you want things like that. When I started, I actually liked the idea of expansions because it was why risk a new game when I can get more content for games that I already have that was when i had 10 games now i have hundreds so i have already more than i can play so that doesn't really matter and i used to be very skeptical of expansions in euro games because and i still kind of am although i do own some and some are very good but in general i tend to be more inclined to think well if it ain't broke why fix it and since Eurogames often thrive in the balance, I have been historically skeptical of messing with that balance. But I must say that not only expansion for Eurogames have become more frequent, well, better thought out, but also, as you said, unfortunately, there are some games that in their basic form are not as good as they can become with the expansion. And so I have changed my, my perspective on that. I wanted, as usual, to to ask if you had bad exp- uh, expansion experiences, which help us frame what we, we don't like. So I don't particularly like the port expansion for Village. Mm-hmm. I do own it. Like you said, I was like, ooh, more content for Village, which I love as a base game. And the in one is okay. The port one... I don't particularly care for, like I was saying, because it covers up the travel portion, which is my favorite portion of the base game. And it makes the area seem less important okay? because it, it becomes more costly to do things over in that section. Sure, I'm getting more points based on certain things, but I'm spending a lot of resources to do that, a lot of turns to do that. So it feels like almost irrelevant. It just, I don't know, it just wasn't, it, I would play it again. Okay. But I've only played it the once. 
and I played it at two. So maybe with more people, it becomes more dynamic, but it just muddied the game for me. So that was one that I would say that I didn't particularly care for. And also it was kind of push your luck, you said, or not? Am I misremembering that? I don't particularly remember. Yeah, I, I haven't played it. For me, it was more that I like the the traveling so much that even if it were good, I don't want to take out the part yeah. that I like. So. so for me, there are two examples. One is Castle of Burgundy. There are a lot of mini expansions and none that I've tried particularly meant anything to me. Uh, I feel the base game has enough variety and all of these little things means that every time you have to teach it, you have to teach these additional rules. And the ones that I tried were either insignificant, then why put them in, or vice versa, like the monastery is absolutely crucial to the game because there are basically wide buildings when you score. And so I really didn't care for those. But I think the worst uh, experience I had with uh, an expansion was the expansion for Bruges, which... Is actually very sought after, yes. So I didn't play the game, but I sat on the side of a game being played, and Anna played it in the game and absolutely despised it. The expansion to Bruges introduces boats that have a bunch of little effects that can come out and events that give you discounts or bonuses for the current round. And that breaks that spirit in Bruges of trying to build your machine and going going to look for the card and moving at your own pace. Meaning you might not have the cards, you might have to react to the things, but you're moving at your own pace. While that added uh, random common elements that we particularly didn't like. And I know that's a very popular expansion. I think it goes into the direction of having more stuff in the game, but I like the core of Bruges of being focused on the cards and everything comes from the cards. And so that detracted from that, in my opinion. Yeah, I've never played with it. But Brian did get the expansion, but he could only get it in Dutch. So I will... He's <laughs> working on pasting pasting the, the English rules onto his cards. At this point, waiting for Hamburg might be your you guys' <laughs> best bet. So we will... I will encourage him to finish that up so that way we can play it and I can share my thoughts on it with you. Trying to get positive now. What was your third favorite expansion if you had um, one? So I have four things. Okay. You're jacking this thing. I think I don't know. I have four. <laughs> they, aren't in a part, they aren't in a particular order but one that I really enjoy is Abyss, which we've talked about. The Kraken expansion. I've not played with the Leviathan mm-hmm. expansion, but the Kraken expansion adds negative pearls or nebulous. And it adds another level of things to the game. I feel like I lost the game that we just most recently played because I f- didn't focus too much on the nebulous. I had like four points negative of the black pearls. And then I also got the Kraken, which took me down nine points, which I think took me out of the, the, the like running for first place. Yeah. I think it was 11, 11 negative points for you, which definitely got a big swing. You had a lot of good, of good uh, Lords. Yeah. I agree. That is a very interesting expansion. It's definitely up there for me as well. Probably where, 
it doesn't make it into my top is that the nebulous is important, but it's not as impactful as other of the ones that ended up on my list. But I do really like it on its own. So it wasn't a matter of I don't like it. It's just that some others changed the game in even more yeah. significant ways. So I took the bait since you went for for four, and I'll mention two games without going into detail. So I, I'm cheating on your cheating. I'm putting two in my number four. No, it's two games that are enriched by expansion. One is Small World that goes more in the way of more stuff. I really think that the game needs more stuff, though, uh, in the base game. And the other is Battlestar Galactica, uh, which... I won't go into detail of the expansion because there are many and they are modular. That's why I didn't put it in my top three because I cannot point to this expansion is so good. But I think of Battlestar Galactica as a game composed with pieces for three, four hours, or for some people, four boxes if you own all of the expansions and you take the pieces that you need to make your game experience, whatever you want. But I think at that point, you're not simply talking about expansion, but also customization. And so I felt that was better for a different... Uh, conversation, but I still snack it in there. See how, how I, <laughs> I take any advantage you yes. give me. So what's next for I you? I have Lorenzo. Oh, so you did come around about that expansion. I like it. I I've never said that I didn't like it. I just think that it does take away some of the elegance of the 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 base game. I like it. I feel like some sometimes it can rely too heavily on the little lock tokens, which are in the expansion where if you take certain spots, the bonus that you get can be random. I think that they're too variable in a game where you're trying to really count on all your resources and focus on things that you need. I think that having a random element is not particularly good in a euro but i do Got it. i do like the the overall feel of it i like that it makes one of the towers have a variable cost so you need to f- remember that when you're planning out your next turn and i like the institution of the the different houses so that's called houses of the renaissance i believe and you are adding different houses you're bidding on different houses that have different variable player powers in the beginning, which I know you said you don't particularly care for, but I like them in games like this that are very plan heavy, where you are kind of, you're giving, you're given a little bit of focus, but it doesn't like completely steamroll you into a specific strategy. So this so this one definitely has that element where it's like you get an extra bonus if you do this, but you don't feel like obligated to do that the best or the most or what have you. Yeah, first of all, I think that I like the drafting of them, not so much because of the auction for it, because I feel like it doesn't happen that much. I've never seen anyone going to the top of the at the beginning of the game, you you bid for what you want and you can say, oh, if you let me have this, I will get fewer resources. And someone else goes, no, I will get even fewer resources to get it. And I've never seen that spiraling up. Um, but specifically because of that, you also get more resources. So I like that part. And second, I think they were very well thought out. 
because they don't directly interact with one specific strategy. They interact with things that you're doing, but you can do them in different ways. Like you mentioned when you played, you had one that was good for the church track, but there are very different ways of getting church points. Yes. Or there is one that gives you a fourth worker, which is you have to pay for, for because it's low in number and things like that. And it's sure that that doesn't give you a specific strategy. It gives you a big power, but other people are have other powers. Or someone is every time you get the resource, you get one more. But there are very different ways of getting resources. You can always go for the high numbers or you can run the green production track or you can do it with the special cards from the fifth tower or you can simply go to the spots that give you some resources. So I feel that that's what they did really well. They didn't give you a power that is you have a discount on every time you get uh, a purple card, you need a lower number and you pay less, which those are things that you can build in the game, right? You can get cards that do that for yeah. you, but then you're building your strategy. If that had been the starting power, I would have felt the same about the Lorenz expansion. If they had said, well, now you can have eight purple cards and they cost you two less and you have a discount of two on the die, then at that point you are playing for purple cards, right? There is nothing else that you can do. And But they didn't do that. And so I think that that's a very, very solid expansion. So my number three is a game where I absolutely adore the expansions. The reason it's number three is that it's one of those cases where, as you were saying before, I like the basic game. And if it had remained the basic game, it would probably be a game that I play from time to time when it happens. And it's that I really like is Champions of Midgard, uh-huh. which I think proves the expansions were absolutely gorgeous, well-made and clever. But that's kind of a dig against the publisher because it feels like they build so well into the game that I doubt that when they were developing the game, none of that was discuss or in the mind of the designer or what have you so champions of Midgard, we have mentioned before you collect dice to fight a monster and then you go against the monsters and first there are new ways to fight new monsters to fight and that i i can see how it can be a regular expansion but then there are also things that you get when your dice die so that it takes away that feeling of, oh, I built all of this and they just went away. Because sure, when they die, it's not great, but at least I get the consolation prize. Sometimes I want to, them to die strategically. And on top of that, they also added uh, special powers that you activate only when a certain die roll that, rolls that rather than a hit. So again, balancing the fact that you have special powers. So I feel that not only it expanded the game from a very simple thing into a more complex game, but it also rebalances it. So I I don't know the mind of Ole Steiners, the, the designer, but I feel that was a case of we cannot make this game as big as it needs to be. And then they did it with the Kickstarter and with the success of the base game. So I really, really like the expansions, but kind of a little bit blaming Grey Fox Games for not putting it out in full potential right off the bat. Sure. I haven't played that in so long. I love it. it. It's been... The last time I played it was with you guys, and I think it was one of the earlier games that we've played together, so it's been years. 
Oh, it's worse than I thought. Yeah, it's it's more than two years. You're right. It's one of the first few games we played. We have to amend that. <laughs> but I remember liking it a lot. So we'll have to get it to the table soon. My next one is going to be Five Tribes. Okay. <laughs> uh, I agree. So for Five Tribes... The base game in itself is very, very good. You are moving meeples. Is it technically Moncala style? I think so. So Moncala style, where you're dropping one meeple off at each tile that you pass over, and at the last one, you are picking up all of the meeples of the last color that you're placing there. Mm-hmm. So you're getting benefits from the different meeples, you can go and you can buy different gins, which give you little powers. They also give you points. Um, all of the meeples do something different. There's a market. So there's lots of things going on. It's so good at, at the base game in and of itself. The expansions have a lot of different things. So there's two that I like, one that I don't really care for. So the one that I don't really care for is the Thieves of of Nakala, which makes the game provides more interaction. It's there are more like ways to mess with what people have already started doing. So I don't particularly care for that one. I don't really play with it that often. Um, so I'm not gonna talk about it. But the other two are really good. The Five Tribes, the Artisans of Nakala, and the Five Tribes Whims of the Sultan. The Whims of the Sultan is very interesting because it gives you little tokens that are sometimes different powers that you can use to go around certain limitations of the game there's a lot of different things that are are just really good in there and then also the artisans gives an additional meeple into the game which are purple and it gives more opportunities for scoring more opportunities for the mancala that's artisan right the artisans yeah yeah, which I really like, yeah. It gives you more opportunities for the Mancala base action of the game. I just think that, that this game overall is really good, and I don't feel like it was... I don't feel like they sort of skimped on the beginning. I feel like it just was very popular, and so they thought of ways to make more variability and things like that for it. I agree 100%. The only thing I am perplexed is I never got the whim of the sultan because from their description they made it sound like the big thing was that you had the fifth player and then you just have these whim cards on the side and so i never looked into it and i'm looking into it so i i'm curious now because i i don't want to make it the five player it's deep and long enough with four but i do agree 100 with you that the the artisans of nakala is at the same time not necessary by any means the game even after playing with the Artisan of Nakala, which I own, I like. If someone wants to play without it, if, if I go to someone and they have a copy without, I don't feel like, oh, I wish I was playing with the expansion. The game is perfect without right. it. But it also integrates very well, and I'm happy to use it. I'm happy to have it. So it's it's the perfect expansion in that sense. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really, really good. The, the game overall is just a lot of fun. It's so deep for what is just on the surface a more complex mancala there's so many things that 
you need to consider and it is it's just such a great game i'm i want to play it now <laughs> the only defect of the expansion is that makes five tribes six tribes sure <laughs> so since apparently i am in a vikingish mood today um after raids and mentioning champions of midgard it, my next one is not blood rage or uh, but it's raiders of the north sea that's mine too so oh that's great first of all do you agree with where do you fall on champion on raiders of the north sea do you feel like it's a champions of midgard situation where it needed expansions to be complete? Or do you feel more like if I, it's a five-tribe situation where, sure, it was fine already, it's just that this adds more options? I feel like it's somewhere in between. Because mm-hmm. I play the base game by itself a lot because it's um, on my Switch. So I can play against an, an AI, but they don't have any of the expansions on there yet. So mm-hmm. I play the base game quite often and it's fine i do like it i think that it's a solid game in and of itself i think that the expansion adds a lot if the expansion had never existed i think it would just be a good game that i enjoyed Mm -hmm. when i've played it i don't feel like oh this is really missing something like this is doesn't feel complete but adding in the expansion where you're going and you're fighting different jarls and you're you're getting to subdue them or completely kill them it adds this extra level of thinking to the game an extra level of strategy an extra level of meaningful choices so it just seems it it's a really good expansion and it now that we have it, it feels very necessary. It feels like it's something that I want to play with. But I don't think that if it had never come out that we would be like, oh, this feels like half a game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you, you struck the the absolute right point. I, I was trying to decide between the two options. I think you strike right in the middle. This is probably one where if I were at, someplace and I had my copy and someone said let's play my copy that has no expansion I would probably say well why don't we play with the expansion right but at the same time I really like the base game and I got the expansion not not to try and fix it or because oh I heard with the expansion it's good it's just that oh I like this a lot let's see what's what's out there I also am a little perplexed I think I mentioned this before because people say, oh, the two expansions are great, you need them both, etc. And while I do agree that they are both good, to me, it is absolutely no question that the one that adds the, the Jarls and the additional little towns that you can fight against, which is Fields of Fame, is a step above Hall of Heroes, which is the one that adds the Mead and the Quests. So I like them both. But I think what makes or Raider was good game and now it's a great game with all of the expansion, etc., is the Fields of Fame. Is that tension of flipping the, the Yarl and having wounds and managing your people, having another reason to kill your people beside the simply Valkyries, while the Hall of Heroes that gives you the meat that makes you stronger and the quest where you discard cards to get stuff. It's nice because it makes your card flow a little bit more, but it's not nearly as relevant to to the game as the other one, I think. Yeah. 
I agree with that. And I'm surprised that people usually mention them in a breath and online when people, which one should I get first? Or you should get all both because there is no way to choose. I'm like, no, there is a way to choose. You get this first and then if you have time, you get the other one as well. There's always a way to choose. So what? So I stole your number two. So what's your number one? No, that was it. Oh, sorry. I stole your thunder. So I got to finish with my, with my last one. So my last one is the first expansion I ever got. It's an expansion that is called Expansion, and that shows how old it is. It's from 2007. It is the Pillars of the Earth expansion set. Pillars of the Earth was a very good but simple Euro game in which luck could play a part. It didn't always, but it could play a part. Pillars of the Earth is a classic in a way. It's by Michael Rinek and Stefan Stadler. It got a new edition, but I think the expansion did get a new edition, which harmed the game, in my opinion. The main mechanism of the game is you are doing worker placement, but instead of simply having your workers at your disposal, they get drawn from the bag, and the earlier they get drawn, the more you pay to place, but you get to go first, right? So there is that balance of you can choose not to pay, but then do I want to pay to get something really good, or do I skip and then hope that something is still good when it comes back to me, when my next worker comes out of the bag or when we go to the workers who passed? The expansion almost doubled the worker, worker placement spaces, which makes it so that you can play with more players and it's more interesting with fewer. It gave you other ways of spending some of your resources, but also... In, created a rule where you have three workers instead of being all three in the bag two are in the bag and one is out and the first player to place a worker will be the last one to place a worker the others go on a special track so i think it made it into a much more complex less luck reliant game and i think it's great i think pillars of the earth is not among my favorite games it's a game that i like that i will play if people want to my copy is in italian so i don't have it here I never brought it over, but whenever we go back, we played it this last um, New Year's Eve because it's it's a game from that brings good memories and it's a good game. It's certainly not a top 50 for me, but it's a solid Euro game with the expansion. Without the expansion, is there with the games that rely on some luck to make it more accessible to people. And I think also the fact that it's called simply expansion makes it great <laughs> yeah i've never played that it it looks all right again i think if you know someone who has it it's nice to try it and i will play it anytime is not one that i would say to anyone oh you need to have this it used to be i remember not only when i got it slightly after it came out but also it used to be in a lot of top 10 of different things but that's a game for 13 years ago. And in the last 10 years, the Euro games market specifically has exploded. And so things that were pretty good at the time are now just a fine game. Yeah. Okay. I think that brings us to a close of our expansion discussion and the four of our episode as well. Thank you for listening. As always, we are available on multiple social medias. Instagram at Board Game Gambit. Facebook at Board Game Gambit. We are available at Gmail at BoardGameGambit at gmail.com. If you could like, subscribe, share this with people that you think might enjoy our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. And we 
love hearing from you. Yes, it has been nice for those of you who have reached out, commented, and we have responded whenever uh, there was a chance. If you have something that you want us to discuss, just let us know. And as usual, let us know what your expansions preferences are. Maybe you don't like expansions at all. Maybe we got it wrong and all the expansions we mentioned are horrendous. Or the Bruges expansion is your favorite expansion ever. (laughs) What's wrong with you people? As usual, I've been Jackie. And I'm Nathan. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.